0: The following audio is from Delta Church in Springfield, Illinois. Our purpose is to proclaim the gospel through the church to a world that needs Jesus Christ. We pray this sermon will aid and encourage your daily walk with Jesus. For more information about Delta, you can visit us online at deltachurch.net.
1: Our lives. Um, I'd like to invite Jason Jordan to come on up. Um, yeah. Uh, uh, many of you, many of you know Jason Um. We want equipping forms to be uh, times where we, where we learn, learn truth and we learn from one another. And it's not like the elders have a corner on, on truth or anything like that. So we, we, we thought, who's really good at um, uh, speaking the gospel to others? And, and Jason Jordan was, was it one of the ones at the top of that, that list. Um, many of you know Jason. Uh, if you don't know Jason, he's a faithful brother and a faithful witness He's in my community group. So uh, every week, that's right, shout out Hubert Community Group. Um, if you don't have one, we'll take you. Um, uh, so every, every week, um, Jason just has these really great um, nuggets of truth. And I really enjoy his stories, particularly about the times where he is talking with coworkers or friends or family about, about sharing his faith. Um, so I, I want to start off by asking you, Jason. Um, uh, Before you get into your your message, I would like to ask you, if you could tell us, for those of us who don't know you, how you came to faith in Christ.
2: Yeah, um, let's see. Well, I am 36 years old now, so I was, just real quick story, I was raised Catholic, I was raised here in town. Um, I would say that I embraced the idea that God did not exist as a very young teenager and lived that way until I was about 20. Um, so at that point, uh, didn't believe in God, but also didn't really think too hard about any kind of transcendent things. Um, a friend of a friend invited me to a Christian conference. Uh, it was like a Friday night thing, and I went there. There was an uh, elderly man from England named David Pawson. I don't know if you've ever heard of him, but he was preaching. And he just taught from the Bible, and I just instantly believed that there was a God and that, you know, it was Jesus and that I was going to be okay. So it was kind of a night and day conversion, um, which is unusual and not necessarily needed, but, yeah. Uh, and this was part of the plan, but could you tell,
1: tell the, the brief story about, um, didn't you go to that conference with uh, a pastor's kid friend? Is that yes. right? Yeah. yeah.
2: Oh, okay, that part, yeah. Well, <laughs> uh, Kind of one of my partners in crime growing up was um, a friend of mine who was a pastor's kid, Jordan. And um, he never talked to me about God or anything, right? So when I say a friend of a friend invited me, it was his friends coming in town. We lived in Kansas at the time for a conference, right? So I went and I don't, don't even know if he went that night or not. I don't think he did, but we came home and then we went out drinking that night. It was like two in the morning and I was telling him everything, God is real, and this changes everything, and da-da-da-da-da, and he was like, I know, man, you've got to keep me accountable, so that's, is that what you're talking about? Yeah, exactly, and yeah. so, um, and then he kind of started to change after that, and
1: yeah, and I, I love that story, it's like, really, like, you haven't told, you knew right, this, and right. you haven't told me, right. and uh, that's, that's, that really left an impression in, in me, um, and uh, I mean, how many times in my life where if, if. Someone came up to me like, hey, Brian, I believe in God now. uh, Jesus has saved me. How many times would I be like, yeah, I know? Um, And they'd be like, why didn't you tell me? Yeah, right. right. uh, Anyway, uh, let me pray for you, Jason, in our time together. Father, thank you for uh, Jason. Thank you for this opportunity. Uh, I pray that you'd speak boldly through him. I pray that we would be attentive listeners. You would change our hearts um, to love the lost and to preach boldly to the lost. Uh, we love you. We thank you. And in Jesus' name, we pray. Amen. Amen. Oh, before we start, let, let me just say this: Jason's going to speak f- uh, to us for a little bit. Um, then we're going to have a and A, a Q&A time with him. So, uh, if if you, something sparks your interest, be be
2: thinking of that. We can we can speak about it later. All right. Thank you. Um, so so tonight I'm going to talk in two parts. It's going to be first is going to be kind of theological. And the second part will be kind of the more practical stuff. Um, to tell you the truth, I'm not super pumped about talking about practical things, but that's what everybody seems to like me to talk about. So um, the, main, the main point theologically that I want to get across is, is kind of like the central theme of my life, which is that um, understanding how faith works in the life of a Christian, your own life, it gives you confidence in personal evangelism. And so I want to kind of uh, reason that out and explain why. The um, first thing is, here's the thing about personal evangelism is that um, you're witnessing. You're witnessing to someone who doesn't believe in Jesus, and you're asking them to believe in Jesus. And you're asking them to say that a man from 2,000 years ago that was a Jewish man from the Middle East, that he died, he was put to death by the government, and that's changed everything for everybody, including you. And um, it's, I mean, maybe it sounds normal to us, but it really is kind of a crazy thing. I think it sounds crazy to a lot of people because it kind of is. Um, I just, the one big thing to really keep in mind for me in personal evangelism is when Paul talks about, you know, we were dead in our trespasses and the idea of being dead, right? Um, I was dead in my trespasses. So as as a dead, a dead person can't do anything. They can't, Uh, Move. They can't get themselves up off the ground. They can't bring themselves back to consciousness, right? And so in the same spiritual sense, when we're talking to people, um, they can't really do anything without the power of God, right? And so that's the theme of what I want to talk about, is kind of recognizing how the power of God's already working in your life will give you confidence to talk to other people about it, because you'll recognize how it's going to work with them. Um, Let's see. So... So yeah, we're banking on the power of God. Also, seeing, seeing the power of God in your own life is motivating, right? So if I, if I talked to 10 people about Jesus who didn't know Jesus, and five of them got saved every single time, that'd be super motivating. Because I'd be seeing the power of God of conversion, and I'd be like, wow, this is awesome, right? So when you understand how faith works in your own life, it's kind of that same motivation factor. Um... That's not really that important. Okay, so here's the deal. The process for evangelism and the process for your own life, right, it's it's the same. You look at Jesus, right? We look at Jesus with the eyes of our hearts. We receive faith and we receive the Spirit. And that's what you're asking an unbeliever to do or someone who doesn't go to church when you're telling them about Jesus. Paul said, the life that I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who gave himself for me So life, all of the Christian life is about faith. It takes faith to become a Christian. It takes faith to live as a Christian. So faith to me is, it's an instrument, right? It's a gift from God, but it's also an instrument. It's like a conduit for God's grace, right? He enables you to believe. And as he does, he imparts grace to you. And that's how it works. That's how it works to get saved for the first time. That's how it works on Sunday worship. So, okay, so let's just get into faith. Um, Faith is personal trust in the person and work of Jesus, and the way that I like to think about faith, um, it's the, to me, it's the most important spiritual discipline in somebody's life, right? Um, people don't really talk about it like that. Maybe technically it's not a discipline, but the, the issue is, whether it's Bible reading or prayer or attending church or loving your wife or, you know, whatever it is, um, all that, faith is a part of all of that, Right? So faith is the most important thing. And sometimes I think about like all the Christian books on pragmatic living and holy living and spiritual disciplines and things. And um, I I think the central thing we need is is faith in Jesus, right? But that's not often discussed as like the central thing, right? It's like, well, now you're a Christian, now you're a believer, so now you're going to do this. You're going to have this devotional time and you're not going to do this and you're going to witness and you're going to do all these sorts of things, right? And faith can just kind of get lost in that. Um, so, so the first thing is why do we need faith anyways? Um, you guys already all know this, but I just kind of need to say it. Uh, we need faith because of our fallen condition. So in the beginning, in the beginning, Adam and Eve lived in harmony with God in the garden. There was no sin or death. And Adam was given a, a type of law, right? Do this, tend to the garden. Don't do this. Don't eat from this tree, Right? So it's a do this, don't do this law. And we know that Adam failed, right? So the serpent talked to Adam, the serpent got the best of him, and he failed. And because of that, every single, being, every single person is now corrupted. Corrupted with sin, corrupted with, um, just kind of like Augustine says, that curving in on yourself, that selfishness. Um, but, you know, after Adam fell, God rendered a judgment, where he cursed Adam and the serpent and Eve. But in the midst of God's pronouncement, he gave a promise. It's one of my favorite promises. Um, God said, I will put enmity between you and the serpent and the woman and between the serpent's offspring and her offspring, and he shall bruise the serpent's head and the serpent shall bruise his heel. So we have a foreshadowing, as you guys probably know, of Jesus's work on the cross, right? So although the serpent who got the best of Adam would eventually bruise the Savior's heel, via the crucifixion, the savior, Jesus Christ, would crush the head of the serpent and destroy his power, right? And that's what I see the mission of Jesus as. One, one pithy statement for the, for the mission of Jesus that I like is, uh, I don't know if you ever heard it, but kill the dragon, get the girl, right? It's, it's defeat the serpent, get the bride, right? I like to tell young guys that because I feel like it's a young guy kinda, kill the dragon, get the girl, okay. all right. Um, So in the the garden, the serpent got the best of Adam, and he was kicked out of God's holy presence. But God made this promise. So we have these kind of two, the two Adams, right? So Adam is very significant for the human race because it was through his one act of disobedience, right? One man's disobedience, everybody's cursed. It doesn't seem fair. However, we also know that through Jesus' one act of obedience, many have been set free from that curse, right? So they're very similar in this way that both Adam and Jesus, with one act, they changed the status and course of humanity. The right to live in heaven, this is important, hold on. Um, The right to live in heaven must be earned. So Adam failed, but Jesus didn't. Sometimes I think we use the language so much of uh, what do I say? Salvation is not by works, right? Things like that. That we forget that really it is, right? Um, And that Jesus has earned salvation by works for us. It's just that it's the way that it gets applied to us is different. It's through this thing called um, by grace through faith, right? But salvation really is by is that fair to say? Is it yeah, okay. So, salvation must be earned. And understanding it like that, too, before you go straight to the you can't earn salvation is good because it gives you confidence that Jesus has done it. And so, with the two Adam thing is, for personal evangelism is we're talking about taking somebody who's in, in the line of Adam who has the status of guilt on their life and they're transferring from that line to the line of Jesus, Christ the King, right? So... Gosh, how do you do that? Well, you don't, really, but you do, kind of. Um, God is the one who does it, right? But he's chosen to use us. So how do we receive faith, right? Whether you're, uh, for, for someone who's going to believe for the first time, is by hearing and believing God's promise. Okay, so this is the last... Um, Bible thing I want to bring out. It's, to me, it's just a, it's a beautiful picture of how faith works that's been really important to me, and so that's why I want to talk about it. Um, it's, it's the story of the bronze serpent, all right? Um, you guys probably know this, but the story of the bronze serpent. So you have the, they get, the, you know, the people get kicked out of the garden, and then a lot of things happen, and they end down up in Egypt, and then they come back out, right? And they're wandering around the desert with Moses, God's providing them for them miraculously, right? Bread from heaven or whatever. And the people start to complain. They start to complain about the food. They don't like it. Why have you delivered us from slavery and brought us to the wilderness to die? And all these kinds of things. So, so because they were complaining and they were doubting God's provision, uh, we know from Numbers 21 that the Lord sent fiery serpents among them, Right? And the fiery serpents would bite people, and then they would die. So that started happening, and the people said, Wow, we have sinned against the Lord. So they went to Moses, and they said, Please, you know, talk to God for us to make this go away. So Moses talked to God, and God said, Okay, and then this is what, this is what uh, the Lord said. So this was his antidote to the people dying after they'd been bitten. The Lord said to Moses, Make a fiery serpent. And set it on a pole, and everyone who is bitten, when he sees it, shall live. So Moses did that. He made a bronze serpent, and he put it on a pole. And if a serpent bit anyone, they would look at the bronze serpent, and they would live. To me, this is the pattern of all of life looking and living. It's as simple as looking, right? It's as simple as hearing. You hear, you look, you live. There's no merit in your look. There's no merit in your hearing, right? God gets all the glory. You look and live. And so in this way, the Lord was tell, retelling that promise to Eve. He did this all throughout the Old Testament. He basically just retells that original promise to Eve over and over and over again. And we know that it points forward to the day of Jesus Christ. So God was causing them to live by communicating the gospel, even though it was veiled. And so the gospel just, you know, evangel, evangel just means gospel and gospel just means good news, right? So it's just evangelism is just telling of the good news. And so in this way, in the wilderness, God was evangelizing his people. Like Adam, they had doubted, right? They doubted God's provision. Serpents got the best of them. Death came and God gave a cure by speaking a promise, And the reason he did that is because the sin started with doubt, right? I don't trust God. I don't believe God. I believe the serpent. You look here at the bronze serpent or the promise of God, whatever it is, now you're believing, now you're trusting, right? So that's how God redeems that. Now, we know that this is ultimately about looking at Jesus because Jesus himself... Uh, referenced it. So probably the most famous evangelistic sermon in all of the New Testament or statement in all the New Testament is John 3.16, right? It says, for God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. So that's John 3.16. And I actually remember the night I got saved at that conference, the preacher man was like, how many people know John 3, 16? You know, people started saying it, raising their hands. They're like, all right, what's John 15 say? What's John 17 say? And everybody's like, I don't know. So anyways, John 14 and 15 say, this is Jesus. He says, Jesus says, And as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so must the Son of Man be lifted up, that whoever believes in him may have eternal life. For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son. So this is this picture of the bronze serpent is a picture um, of the communication of God's power. Um, okay, so in this sense, we look at Jesus. We are seeing Jesus with the eyes of our heart, and we receive life. And it's not just life for initial conversion or regeneration; that it's for all of life. And I just point out that um, the people that were bitten, the, fi- the fiery serpents in the, in the wilderness, that those people are already part of God's covenant people, right? And then they got bitten, and then they had to look. And so the bronze serpent thing's not just good for initial conversion, it's good for all of life. Um, and the thing that we look at with the eyes of our hearts is Jesus' death and resurrection. So faith comes by hearing, hearing by the word of God. Um... Right. So, the, well, I'm going to move on from that. Oh, thanks. Sorry. Um, so, yeah, the bronze serpent is a pattern for all of our life. We look and we live. It's how we walk in the spirit. It's how we look at Jesus and we get assurance from him that we're okay, we get confidence right, so when we look at Jesus through the hearing of the word whether it's through the preaching or bible study or prayer or whatever it is um, you get what I think is the essence of faith which is assurance that Jesus is able to save and not only that, that Jesus has saved me in particular, that his blood is enough and so in that we stop striving, we repent of our sins and we have the confidence to move on and so we look and we live. Now, I think to, to drive the, the, that point home, I want to talk about Paul in Galatians. Um, so in Galatians, Paul's talking to people that are saying, hey, uh, we know that, you know, Looking, you know, looking at Jesus is great, right? But we've got to do some other things. We've got to obey the law. We've got to do some practical devotions. We've got to pray two hours a day. We've got to do this, right? Whatever it is. And Paul rebukes them and he says, Oh, you foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you? It was before your eyes that Jesus Christ was publicly portrayed as crucified, right? So, so the anecdote to, to, to them kind of going off course, right? was to say, no, you know that Jesus Christ was publicly portrayed as crucified. And I kind of like how Paul says, who has bewitched you, right? There's like a bewitching factor to trying to get people to take their eyes off of Jesus. Um, And so then he goes on and he says, how was the Spirit supplied to you, right? By doing works? By doing all these good things? No, he says by hearing with faith. Jesus Christ was publicly portrayed as crucified you believed and the holy spirit came and did all and there he did all kinds of works and miracles right and so the holy spirit is supplied through the preaching of the gospel through the hearing of the word through the communication of jesus christ right so you could you could go way deep into like revelation the scene in heaven right what are they doing they're casting their crowns down they're worshiping but who are they worshiping When you get down to the nugget of it in the beginning of chapter five, it says it was a lamb who was slain. That is who heaven is worshiping. And they're looking at the lamb who was slain. And so what we do here on this life is that we are looking at the lamb who was slain. It's that simple. And Paul says, that is how you get the spirit. That's how the spirit is supplied to you. I think there's a tendency to, I know for me, I've done a lot of, I've kind of ripped on spiritual devotions here, but you have to understand my background. I've I'll put money down right now that I've done more spiritual devotions than anybody in here, except for maybe some older guys than me. Um, And in the midst of that, you can really lose sight of how the Holy Spirit really comes to you. And so that's important. Um, Okay, so yeah, so this principle of look and live, right? It's the ongoing principle of our... It's the organizing principle of corporate worship, right? So we gather in here, and I... I don't know, I've never gone deep into the liturgy, but just from, uh, it's like there's a big God statement, and then there's like a big confession statement that we've fallen, right? And then we hear the word preached, we hear the sermon preached, and then we have, um, oh, before that we have prayer, and we call on the Lord Jesus, and then at the end we have communion, the bread and the wine, right? All of these things, all of our corporate gathered worship is geared towards looking at Jesus, right? So, um, I really appreciate that. I didn't really appreciate that point until the last couple years. I did a deep dive on Reformation history, and to me, before I did that, I always thought the Reformation was about, which it is, right? That your justification is through faith alone. But the other part of that is in order to guard that doctrine, they reformed all the practices of the church. They completely changed everything. And so the Reformation was just as so much as a reformation of doctrine as it was of worship, right? And I really appreciate this church because I think it's really in line with that kind of liturgy of, of just every single point that's pointing to Jesus. And so that's how the Spirit is really supplied through the hearing of the gospel, not doing the law. And so the spirit comes to both believers and unbelievers the same way. Faith comes by hearing, hearing by the word of God. Um, Oh, okay. This is a good point. Are you struggling with, do you believe everything I just said? Or are you just like, that's boring, I already knew that. Do you struggle with personal evangelism though? Because I would say this, if you do, maybe you don't really understand what I'm saying as much as you could. Because I think if you did, personal evangelism would be easier. Because um, here's the thing is, if you, once you understand how God's moving in like corporate worship in your own life, how he's using faith as a conduit for his power, it just makes sense to step out and do personal evangelism, right? Because it gives you that confidence. Oh, my gosh, Lord, this is how you're working, right? It's assurance. It's the essence of faith. It's trust. I can stop striving. I can rest, right? And now I can fight my sin. I'm going to be okay. I've been taken care of forever, right? Um, Yeah, so it's the habit of training that kind of gives you that assurance so that when you talk to somebody else, you know how it's going to work. Okay, I'm going to tell them the gospel, and then something's going to happen. Now, so you... I'm going to move on. I'm going slower than I thought. Okay. So we evangelism, in in my opinion, we're all being evangelized on Sundays, and a lot of you, actually, I I would say this is one of the best. First, I want to say this is one of the best churches I've ever been to for personal evangelism. So, I I mean, I just hear people are constantly talking about it. So, um, I don't want to act like, well, whatever. So we're all already evangelizing in our own homes, right? So my wife speaks the gospel to me. She talks about Jesus. She talks about the death and resurrection of Jesus or whatever. I'm hearing the gospel. I'm looking at, the, at, the, at my sin crushed, you know, how it crushed Jesus. And I'm, I'm gaining assurance in that, right? And then I speak it to her and we speak it to our kids. And then we also have friends and family who are believers, right, and they speak it to us and we speak it to them. So we're constantly evangelizing. No, I would say if, um, I mean, if you're here, you probably don't struggle with personal evangelism, maybe. But if, if you did, I would say start there. That's just the best place to practice, right? But just start speaking the gospel more in your home. Start talking about Jesus more. And when I say talking about Jesus, I'm really talking about specifically him according to the scriptures uh, what, what we know about Jesus from the scriptures and what he did. Because some people say, let's talk about Jesus, and it's like, man, I just feel like the Lord, is or whatever, you know what I mean? And that's fine. But when I'm, when I'm saying let's talk about Jesus, it's, it's really like according to what happened in the scriptures, kind of that objective news announcement. Okay. Okay, so that's my setup. That's the part I like. So I just shared you with you my entire life. That's my entire life philosophy. Okay. So what about non-church people? Okay. It's emotionally harder. I get it. Um, But if you think about it this way, you know, the gospel, you you can't be the gospel, right? Can you? No, you can't. Because the gospel is an announcement. It's a message. It's information at its core. Yes, you know, Christianity is more than information. I understand that. But it's not less, right? So it's just an announcement about something that's happened. It's the sharing of information. Um, so, so you speak the gospel. Now um, oh perfect. So we're going through the book of Mark and you know Pastor Jonathan is saying, uh, there's two questions. Who is Jesus and what did he do? Is that right? Yeah okay so whenever you say that, I, I always laugh inside um, it's because it reminds me of the Arnold Schwarzenegger movie with Kindergarten Cop. Do you know what I'm talking about? Okay. Do you guys know? So Arnold Schwarzenegger is an undercover cop, and he becomes a kindergarten teacher, trying to catch a kindergarten student's bad guy. Uh, his parents are bad guy, So he needs to figure out who, who are these people's dads, these little students. So he gathers them together, and he says, in his accent, which I'm not going to do, he says, who is your daddy, and what does he do? Right? So whenever you say that, that's what I think. Um, but it's... I actually love it because it really is that evangelism is just like that for us, right? Who is Jesus, and what did he do? What did he do? Jesus is God, and he died for our sins. That's pretty much it. Jesus is the King. He died and resurrected. Um, and so, whether it's whether it's that question or the bronze serpent, it's that the actual uh, content of what you're saying is really pretty simple. Um, you're just trying to get them to think and to look at Jesus, right? So I'll just throw in a really practical example real quick. It's like I'm talking to somebody at work. It's like, hey, hey, what would you do this weekend? Oh, not much. Just hung out with some friends from church. Oh, really? Yeah. You go to church? Yeah. W- where? Delta. What kind of churches is it? It's just like a typical evangelical church. We believe the Bible is true and that Jesus died for your sins, and, you know, you can live forever if you believe in him. Oh. Okay. Uh, I've never had, like, immediate fruit from that one, but I do that one all the time. So, um, so our role is just to give the information, right? Let's see. Oh, okay. Here's, here's another example. Um, Who is Jesus and what did he do? Who's your dad and what does he do, right? My dad's a computer programmer. He's from Montgomery County. He grew up on a farm now he's done working on computers all his life. He likes craft beer and solar panels. That's what he's into right now, actually. <laughs> and um, yeah, that's it. Or, or you could say, w- w- take an event, right? It's just information, right? It's evangelism, it's journalism, it's just a media. You're just transmitting information. So 9-11, right, what happened there? Some terrorists, they hijacked a plane, they threw it into some towers in New York City and it changed the course of everything, right? So content-wise, it's really very simple. So, you know, what's the gospel? Well, Jesus Christ is Lord. He died and he rose again. And if you believe in him for your sins, you will live forever. Okay. Um, now, I say it's that simple because I kind of avoid apologetics, right? I don't get into a lot of arguments with people. Um, just, that's just my style. So, I, I would okay. I've, prob, I've witnessed to hundreds and hundreds of people um, but I would say out of those, that amount, I'd say that I've only seen a few ever come to faith. And I would say that none of them that I know of, it happened right away, right? So I would say that personal evangelism takes a lot of patience, right? And that's why I wanted to drive home the point of the glory of church worship, right? It's because it gives you motivation to do this, right? So this is Jesus's mission. He's going to accomplish it. Um, and we just get to be along for the ride. It's the greatest mission of all time. I mean, if I get to heaven and sometime I share the gospel with somebody and it was through me, I mean, that's just going to be amazing. That's going to be really worth it. So I could give you a couple examples. I'm a good, actually, example of a night and day conversion, but most of the time it's not like that. Um, Let me give you one example. I have a friend who I grew up with, known since kindergarten. When I became a Christian in 2002, I told him, and he just flat out starkly rejected me. Right? Really bad. Um, fast forward about six or eight years after that, I didn't see him. And then I ran into him at a wedding, right? And we talked and we realized we had this like kind of bond over politics. So we just started talking again about politics and stuff like this. And then I just decided to give him a book. I gave him a marriage book, right? And it was, it was Tim Keller's marriage book. Cause you know, Tim Keller's safe to give to anybody. He's like so non-offensive. So I gave him the book I was like, all right, man, well, I haven't seen you for like five years, and maybe I'll see you again. But then we kind of stayed in touch through um, texting and email and sharing articles, and you know, we hate this stuff and whatever, politics stuff, right, ranting. And then I went and visited him out of state, and he had said, oh, man, yeah, we've been going to church. I read that book. I read some other books. And we met these friends. I go to this Baptist church, and we're doing this. And I was like, oh, okay, cool. But he wasn't like totally buying in. I could tell he was just exploring, right? So that's a good practical point about all this is that there's a, there's a place where people are just exploring, and that's okay. And I think it, um, I, I feel like this would be better advice for the generation ago, because I don't feel like my generation is very pushy about anything, right, about this stuff. But there's a, there's a place to just let people explore. So this guy was exploring. We ended up having an hours long conversation, and then, um, yeah. He years and years and years went by and we kept talking and then all of a sudden he calls me up just several months ago and was like, man, everything's about Jesus. I finally get it. I was like, okay. And he's struggling on the phone to convey to me what he's saying, right? And he's basically just saying like, I love Jesus. Jesus loves me. This is amazing. This is great. This changes everything, right? And the same thing with his wife. And now they've read the whole Bible and they were like straight up, me and him grew up, we were like atheists together. Right We would say that we're like socialists and we're atheists. We like that, as like little teenagers. Um, so anyways, that's a process that from the first time to now, is 16 years, right? And I want to say one point about that. He's my friend, regardless. he's not a project. Some people are afraid of the project thing. And I would say, I understand that. I don't feel like people treat people like projects more. I feel like we kind of talk about them like projects. You know, it can kind of come off like that. but My goal is to point myself to Jesus and Brian and my wife and everybody and my dad and whatever, right? So that is my life project, right? So anyway, that's that. Um, Just a couple more things. I can can give you urgency, right? This is an urgent matter. when I was in the Army, I've preached to several guys, right, all the time. <laughs> in the Army, you can be, say outrageous things, right, because everybody's saying outrageous things. So you can be annoying about the gospel because everybody's annoying. doesn't matter if it's sports or whatever. It's just everything's a competition. Everything's like a, a one-up game. So I was pretty bold and annoying and obnoxious about Jesus stuff. But anyways, I, I had a guy, I'll give you an example. He, I was learning about the Old Testament, how the blood of Jesus was shown in Leviticus and how it was just proof that Jesus' blood is enough. And I was just like going crazy about it. And um, so I was just telling everybody about it. And this guy gets up one day and, uh, well, actually, sorry. I'll just, I'll just say he stood up and he had been watching some things and he put them all up here and he repented in front of everybody, Right? And I didn't even tell him about, the, you know, those things are wrong, right? And he just did that. And that was really, and then the funny part is, a bunch of guys tackled him, because they're like, don't let lieutenant find out we have that, because then they'll take it away. So that was kind of funny. Um, sorry, I just realized that the kids were here, so. Uh, but yeah, that guy, that guy died, right? That guy died. And there's other guys that died. I, I know a guy who had a, he had a tattoo of a star pentagram here, and the chaplain said something to him about it, because I guess you can be any religion you want in the army, but you can't be a Satanist. Is that, do you know that? Yeah. I didn't know that either until that time. So the chaplain called him out about it because he's like, that's a Satanist. So he got all upset and came and talked to me. He's like, what is this? And the, the devil this? And that. he's like, do you believe in the devil? And I was like, yeah, man. It's like, he's gonna live forever in the lake of fire. And he's like, yeah. And I was like, okay. And then I told him the gospel and I told him about Jesus. I mean, he, he was tatted up from head. Of, he came there 18 years old with no tattoos. He had t- tattoos from, like, his neck all the way down. That's when the Army would take anybody, so they let you have as many tattoos as you want. But, yeah, he died. He died, he died that week. He died that week. So, anyways, that's kind of the urgency stuff. Um, I, could, I could give you more stories, just real quick one. A friend of mine, we'd go to lunch together. We'd talk. He's got an alcohol problem. We'd talk about it. We'd talk about Jesus, blah, 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 blah. And then one day, I had, you know, I had to make it more than just we're exploring. I had to be like, okay, man, these choices you're making aren't because of sin, right? You need forgiveness. Jesus can forgive you. Do you trust that? You don't need to do anything. Do you trust it? And he, very colorful language, you know, F-bombs and no way. That's a manipulation tool made up by white people to... Control black people, and I was just like, okay. You know, that was the first real moment, and um, I haven't talked to him since, so I don't know. I don't know what's going there. So there's a lot of there's a lot of rejection, but at the same time, it's like, okay. You know, that's fine. Thanks for sharing. I, I will say he was in the heat of the moment. Right, he was nice to me after that for a little bit. So sorry, that was a, that was a downer. Um, last one, atheist friend, law school, he just wants to talk about religion all the time, I'm like, I don't really want to talk about it, because he just wants to argue about existence of God and science stuff, and something Christopher Hitchens said, it's like, what, I'm like, whatever, so he, we would just bond, we would make beer together, because he, you know, brewed beer or whatever, and we'd go on bike rides, and he'd just ask me all these things, and I could not, I couldn't answer all his questions, so I just got a buddy, of mine who was an elder at the church I was at who was a math professor. He liked all that apologetic stuff, right? Like God exists and here's why and blah, blah, blah. And so we would hang out. We had out several times. We would just talk for hours and hours, like till two or three in the morning kind of stuff. And they would just talk about the Bible and he would just explain it in five million different ways. So anyways, nothing happened. We're still friends. Everything's cool. So, um, so yeah, that's it. Um, Last point, good point. The main people that we witness to, in in my view, I didn't talk about contact evangelism or what I call cold calling, right? Just running up to people in the street. I've done a lot of that. I don't know, I'm married with two kids and have a job now, so I don't do... I'm not on the subway as much as I used to be, right? (laughs) So I don't do that kind of thing. I just want to say my whole job is to point myself, my wife, and everybody, I think a concentric, you know, the circle thing. I don't even know how to say it. And so my main people that I want to witness to are my family, right? And then there's always that weird category of like, okay, they, they say they're a Christian and they kind of go to church sometimes, but you don't really know where it's at, right? And so you're just trying to point everybody to Jesus and talk about Jesus all the time. So I'm, what I'm saying is the people that I really witness to are the friends in my family and my neighbors in my life, my coworkers and stuff like that and i don't go around work evangelizing. I've even had people at work ask me like questions about it and i've been like i it's a long story but i'll just say you know i'd love to talk to you about this but we should do it off work time right cuz i want to be faithful to the rules of the office place right and i know that proselytizing is not cool so that's me maybe i'm not being maybe i'm being weak there but i'm i'm just trying to honor the gift of god the work environment. So, anyway, that's it. That's it.
1: So, Jason, I, I appreciate all the uh, the things you said. Uh, I wrote down several things. Uh, I like uh, who is Jesus and and what did he do. That's as simple as our message. Uh, our, our message can be that simple. Yeah. And I, I like your example of um, you know people ask you where you go to church. I always I. I guess I have a horrible answer compared to yours I I love that that leads right into evangelism so I I know just talking previously that um after you first came to Christ there was a bit of a fear anxiety uh can you tell us about that and how you got over that
2: uh yeah so well when I when I became a believer I I had really bad social anxiety I was just you know really into all the bad things and it, it had. All those bad choices in my teenage years had just led to like a paralyzed person who could barely hold a job and barely walk into a public place, right? And so I had that, um, and that you know, having the hope, you know, hope of God in your heart really helps with that. But I still had a lot of problems. So I couldn't pray out loud in English in front of people for like, oh, I say English because I was raised Pentecostal, sorry. I couldn't pray out loud um, in English for like maybe two to three years because I was so nervous to, to talk in front of people, right? Um, so how that translates to personal evangelism, it's just the idea of you know, just doing it and kind of getting over it. But. And I'm still scared. I'm scared of public speaking. I'm an attorney. I public speak all the time. I don't like it. Um, I speak in front of the Supreme Court and appellate court all the time, and I hate it. And this is the first time I've ever spoken a church and I've been a Christian for 16 years. so. Uh, when I called Jason to ask
1: him uh, to do this tonight, uh, he, he quickly said, yes, I could tell there was a little bit of, of not hesitation, but seriousness to his answer. Um, and then he goes, and I love this guy. I think this shows your heart, Jason. Uh, and I was saying, you know, we want you to speak because you're really a good evangelist. He said, I want you to know, I'm like, batting a hundred which is baseball speak for like one out of every 10 right. I, I i make a hit i, I have a hit right. and so i'm like that's exactly why you're the man to get up here because i think it's easy when you see success after success you know like you said five people you share the gospel with five people five people come to jesus that's easier oh, to yeah. share the gospel yeah but um your persistence is i think a lesson that we we can we can learn learn from you um it's, you, you talked about sharing the gospel um we've talked about crossing the pain line. How do you approach someone if they don't approach you? Um, you know, coworker, asks where you go to church, that's them approaching you. Yeah. Yeah, how do you okay. approach someone?
2: Okay, um, well first you just gotta, if you've, you think about people, you care about them, you wanna love them, right? So I have a, one time I had a coworker who had no family that lived here. It was over the holidays. So I said, hey man, uh, I organized an event at my house not an event, but invited a few people. I said, "Hey, I'm going to have some few people over on this holiday. Do you want to come over?" And so he did. And it was Christmas. And it was this year. And I said, because I think church was on this year. I said, it. "So in that right now, I'm off of work. Now I'm exchanging numbers with him, talking to him. I'm like, oh yeah, by the way, I'm going to church Christmas morning. Um, would you like to come? You know, before you come over to my house that night." Yeah, that's so that's I don't know. I don't want to like bait and switch people to, but I want it to be natural. And it is natural for me because I love church. I mean, when I got here a year ago and you guys were doing all this, I mean, I invited everybody. I can't, I've run out of people to invite.
1: You, you literally mean that.
2: Yes. Yeah. yeah. I mean, unless I get like a new relationship or something, I've ran out of people to invite and some people have come and some people haven't. So whatever. And that's the thing is like, maybe you're not the best, you know, this is the gospel person, but you can invite people to church. And I've yeah. Yeah. Um, What are what's what what are some
1: things that encourage you uh, in evangelism or uh, motivations? Uh,
2: Motivations. I mean, the urgency of the matter is motivating to me. Um, The joy that comes in believing and trusting in God and the joy of Jesus Christ. So to me, it all just flows from there. I mean, I love. I mean. To come here, I I don't know. What I was trying to explain about the power stuff is I think this church is really powerful. I think it's more so, I I know it doesn't maybe look like much, but it's, in my opinion, one of the most powerful churches I've ever been to in my life. And so that's what motivates me. For me, it's Sunday worship. Because I, I get to come up here, and I don't have to speak. I don't like it. Somebody else, whether it's, you know, Jonathan or you or Tom or Brady or whatever, they do all this hard work, and I just sit here and listen, right? Like, I just love that. I just <laughs> – and maybe that – sorry, that sounds really lazy. No, that, that's good. <laughs> well, it's
1: lazy people who just listen to your hard work. Uh, yeah. You get it, right? Yeah. Uh, um, I've got a few more things I, I could ask you, but I, I, yeah. we have some time. Uh, any questions for, for Jason? Yeah, I got one for
0: you, brother. Yeah. talking about Jesus in the conversation. So like, in general, do you have some categories maybe in, your, in the back of your head where like when you're at work and man, God presents that opportunity and you're like, man, this is just as plain as the day is long. This is an opportunity for me to confess Jesus right now. Do you have like sort of some categories in the back of your head where you're like, man, any general conversation, I'm trying to ask this question. I'm trying to get these three true statements across. Yeah.
2: No, no, it, I, Yeah. Some people are good at that. I don't really have that. I don't really have, like, I'm going to ask this question to get them to come to this place or anything. Yeah, I just don't. I kind of look at it like I'm not trying to persuade you. I'm not trying to get anything from you. But if I've if I've been your friend long enough, and I don't think you have to earn the right to evangelism. I, just, I don't like that statement. But um, if I've been your friend long enough and I've talked to you enough about it, right, then I my category is then I just... Kind of move in at some point and like, so what do you think about this? But I I don't have those categories.
0: So it's it's more just like in those natural moments, you're just confessing the things in the gospel. Yeah. No specific order. Yes, Jesus is good, sin sends you to hell. Yeah. Whatever it is, you come to that point where you're like, it's no more information delivery time. Yeah.
2: It's call for response time. Yeah. 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 That sounds good. That sounds good. If there was a category, I'm around a lot of people who I would say politically are very um, into systematic injustice and that sort of thing. So I try to, well, for one, I try not to be an offense. That's just me. So to say anything that would offend that. um, And I'll talk about how, yeah, everything is fallen and messed up, right? So you go into the fallen nature of the world kind of stuff. Everything's fallen, man. Right? And they are like, yeah, yeah. How can we fix it? I don't know, you know, that kind of thing. Same with the other way.
1: Any other questions? Yeah, Mallory.
3: Mm-hmm.
2: So, were you saying
3: like that, like maybe you, you can sense like when the spirit's having you share your faith, or, or
2: were you just more saying like I don't want to teach you? Yeah, that's. You a statement I'm making. Like, yeah. No, I see what you're saying. I wasn't saying. Yeah, I, I sh- that's a good point. I'm not saying like, oh man, because you have this experience of some feeling of power that you you can recognize it with like some sort of sixth sense in this. I'm not saying stuff like that doesn't happen, but that's not what I was talking about. I was talking more about just a doctrinal um, position, right? The doctrine of the church. I mean, I'll just, this isn't going to explain it, but studying the Reformation so solidified the doctrine of the church to me. It's just blown my mind and changed me forever, which sounds so stupid. But, and that's what I'm talking about the doctrine of the church in the sense of how do we worship God and what is really important. And what's really important is faith. That's why the reformers got all puritanical and stripped everything down, right? Because they really wanted to put the preaching of the gospel center. So what I'm saying is, is if you recognize how good the assurance that you're saved is, I mean, to me, I, just, I value that so highly. I think that's what it is, assurance. For me, it's assurance, right? It's the assurance that I'm saved, that gives me the assurance to talk to somebody else that I just tell them God can regenerate them. And I'm just one part of a long, long journey, right? Everybody's got somebody telling them something somewhere. Yeah. That's good. So the whole scripture, one plants, right? In water, so... Yeah, in other waters, but God gives the growth. So you actually gave a really encouraging word one day, your uh, parable of the sower stuff. Um, because man, I have been witnessing so much that I needed to be encouraged that like you know we scatter the seeds, we don't you know we don't know what's going to happen.
1: Um, lastly, Jason, what encouragement do you have for us as a church?
2: Um, I don't know. I mean I think it's, I, I've been I, we started coming here last March, I would say this so. Jonathan made a comment. Maybe it was in a forum or a family meeting about the the evangelism culture here was not very good or something like that. Um, maybe it switched right when I got here, but I think this is one of the best. Of it. I mean, every time like we're talking, we're talking about witnessing to other people and so many of our friends I'd like somebody, Brady's got like 50 people he's talking to and people at Aldi or whatever it is. My encouragement is like, you guys are in my, in my opinion, doing really good. I don't want to give you false assurance or security, but, I'll, you know, I think this is a great church. It's just that, you know, the numbers are hard. I mean, we could be pragmatic. You guys could be Tom and all the elders could get together and be pragmatic to get people in the door, right? But what are you saving them to? So it's this idea of being, being purposely missional, but also being authentic, right? And taking care of the people that you have here, too. So that's it.
1: Um, if you will, let's thank Jason for his hard work. Thank you. Uh, thank you very much, Jason. I'm going to turn it over to Pastor Jonathan.
0: That, brother, that was about the time where I feel like, I think, the culture of our church. So you sort of did walk through the door. About this time last year is when we just started having conversations like this and just encouraging people out loud in order to shift. So that's just sort of an interesting take to hear you say that, that you walk through the door about the time that we were trying to just encourage people with that language, like just go out and just be confessional, confess, 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 and let God do what only He can do while we are just faithful to just speak, be witnesses, point people, look, and live that language there. Um, I, I really, really love that. Uh, that was phenomenal, man. And I'm very, very thankful for your your encouragement there, just even to me, um, and how just that language that we're going to be talking about over the next two weeks in the sermon series, um, we're going to be hitting pause like we did last year leading up to Easter. We're going to do that little two-part sermon series called The Heart of Making Disciples, and over the next two weeks, we're going to talk about that idea of what it looks like to invest in others and invite them. And my argument would be, if you want to see a man who is doing this well, it's Jason. He didn't use this language necessarily, but if you heard him, he's using that invest language, taking time out of his day, taking time out of his year, using certain seasons in the calendar, that kind of thing, just to go and have conversations, to have meals, to invite people over, um, and then or, or to invest in them in order to invite them. I mean, he said it, and you corroborate, like literally, like he's in, run out of people to invite um, and it's just a simple articulation. Hey, man, would you want to come check this out? Man, this thing's on Sunday morning. I love the language of, what did you do this past Sunday? Yeah, man, I went to church, worshiped Jesus. You know, he can save you too and give you eternal life, man. Just, you know, whoop, sliding that right in there, baby. That's confessing Jesus in, in that moment, man. That's brilliant and highly encouraging for this pastor. Um, because one of the things I struggle with, and this is what we're going to do as we round the corner here and in, in, in into prayer I mean, one of the things I struggle with and just something God is really working in me and we're going to see two other brothers, I think, or two other brothers we all admire who also struggle with this is, man, just that reality of, man, I've just been pouring my heart and soul into the book of Acts. I mean, if you just want to see men lit by the gospel of Jesus Christ who don't need to be conjoled and women who don't need to be conjoled to go and express the realities of the gospel, man, it's just all over in the book of Acts. And, I man, there's just times in my life, and I'm, I'm just taking the language a little bit of what we're going to hear from David Platt and Francis Chan as they talk about these things is, man, there's just times where, like, I realize, man, like, I believe this thing to be true. And if this stuff is true, like, why is like, why is my mouth just not opening more? in regard to the realities, if God is holy and man is sinful, and I'm quite positive the neighbor across the street doesn't know Jesus, like, why am I not just opening my mouth and investing in them more and inviting them and talking about the things of Christ? Like, why does there seem to be a bit more of a, a, um, a an attitude of fear and less peace in regard to these things? And like, then the more important question is, how do we move past that, move, move beyond that, Um, as a body of believers in a way that's mutually encouraging to one another. Um, And so what we're going to do is, we've got about um, 20, 25 minutes left here, we're going to watch um, a video, it's two videos I've stitched together here of David Platt and Francis Chan and just quite honestly, sort of amazingly, them saying, we're really scared to share the gospel. And it's like, man, these guys are like the guys I hold up, like these guys, like they're the ones scared. And they're like, no, man, like we, we find ourselves fearful at times. And so they pose the question, well, what does this mean for us? And how do we move past this? And they're going to talk about something um, from Ephesians chapter six. And then what we're going to do is at the end of the video, we're going to use this as a time of praying for one another along the lines that we're going to watch them. Okay, so just buckle in. We're going to watch this video here. How long ago this movie or this uh, video was recorded? But he's just apparently living in San Francisco, and what he does is get together with a group of guys, and they meet, and they basically crack open the scripture and say, "Hey, let's encourage one another. Let's pray for each other's boldness," and then they just go out and then start sharing the gospel, and then they meet the next day, they pray. They encourage one another with the scriptures, and they go out and share, share the gospel. So you can see um, on your little um, piece of paper that I handed out to you guys, um, they're also just right up on there. So what we're going to do is this very thing now, man. Easter is coming around the bend, um, and we have a phenomenal opportunity uh, to be able to invite and to um, invest in others as we lead up in the weeks to Easter um, and, man, if you're like me, man, just even though there's sort of like this cultural moment that we have each year on the calendar, um, there's still just something within me to go, man, like, you know, the, 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 the sort of um, gospel uh, conversation of where you're willing to cross the pain line and just move from the realm of the physical things of this world into the spiritual realities of a person's need for Christ, that can still just be a, a, an intimidating sort of thing. And I think the way we move past that is by doing what they said, going to Ephesians 6, going to places like Colossians 4 and 2 Corinthians 4, recognizing, man, like I need you guys praying for me so when those opportunities come that I'm bold and for us to be praying for one another to be bold in those ways filled with the Holy Spirit so that when those moments come and we just step into it, we faithfully articulate the realities of the gospel and then just trusting that God can do, do the rest. And so that's how we're just going to close up a time right now. Um, so my encouragement would be just to bust up into, um, just smaller circles, groups of three, fours and fives or whatever it is around you, grab this piece of paper and we're going to spend the next 11 minutes. It looks like, um, just praying through, through these things. Uh, my encouragement would be to, um, maybe dice it up in a way where we could pray for these, these three individual things. If you need some scripture to pray through, um, in order to just maybe uh, prime the pr- the pump of your, of your mind just so you can get thinking in a direction, um, I encourage you. I put those scriptures there for that reason. Uh, so go ahead and start breaking up into those circles. And as you do so, take that opportunity to pray for gospel opportunities. Ask God to open up those doors for sharing the gospel. That's Colossians 4. And then pray for boldness so that when those opportunities come, we would take them um, as ambassadors, speaking as we we ought to speak, um, declaring the gospel boldly. And then just also take the time to pray for that supernatural power, asking God to unblind the minds. And so that's specifically closing out in prayer prayer. praying for those people, those four, um, as Jason was saying, sort of those concentric circles, those people in your house, those neighbors, those coworkers, those friends and family, that kind of thing, praying praying for them. And then whenever our time is done, we will uh, we'll come back and pray uh, and uh, close out accordingly. So go ahead and bust up in those groups, and then um, someone just take charge and uh, divvy up those little three prayer points, and let's just trust that God hears prayer, delights to answer these prayers, so that we would be bold in the weeks and months to come as gospel witnesses. Maybe take about 30 more seconds, about one more minute to wrap up prayer time, okay? Why don't you guys go ahead and uh, wrap up here and then we'll uh, close out with a couple of a couple words of um, encouragement to you guys. Man, I love you guys. And I'm so, 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 so thankful that you guys uh, chose to come out and to do this. Um, And I am convinced that God is stirring up our church and doing some really, really, really good things Um, just through the faithful articulations of the gospel as God is just blowing, God the Spirit is blowing um, in your lives. uh, I think moving our church rapidly along the line of just being faithful articulators um, of the gospel. I man, I'm super, super, super excited. Let me encourage you with these ways, and I'm just asking for prayer for myself as I spend time in my study praying for you guys of just where we're going over the next couple of weeks leading up to Easter. Man, Easter's coming up on April 1st, man, and it's going to be rowdy. Um, I mean, I'm getting crazy excited just about what um, we are going to be preaching on that Sunday. In God's good providence, um, in Mark's gospel, when you come to that great confession of Peter, where Peter finally comes to the place and says, Jesus, you are the Christ. And Jesus goes, that's exactly right. Um, and that's why I need to go and die for sinners and resurrect in um, resurrection power. Like that is our Easter Sunday text. Jesus is king and he's the king that came to die for you. And I love that question because Jesus looks at the disciples and says, who do you say that I am? And that's going to sort of be the key hinge on Easter Sunday of we have to answer that question, who who is Jesus? Who do we say that he is? And Jesus' own articulation is, I am the king, and I came to die for sinners. Now, on the Sundays leading up to that, we're going to be doing this coming Sunday, John chapter 4. We're going to be looking at Jesus' interaction with the woman at the well about what do we have from Jesus as an example of what it looks like to invest in the lives of other others. John gives us the picture that Jesus comes to the well wearied by all of his interactions, but yet he doesn't use his weariness as an excuse to overlook this potential interaction with the woman. Even though he's weary, he sacrificially, intentionally steps into a spiritual conversation with this woman so that he can change their normal average everyday conversation about water into a crossing the pain line, a spiritual conversation, testing for hunger, finding hunger, and calling her to himself, okay? The following Sunday after that, oddly enough, those videos came from Brian, um, and I didn't realize they were going to be talking about Ephesians 6, but week two of the Heart of Making Disciples sermon series is we're going to go to Ephesians chapter 6 and talk about the realities that Satan's scheme is he hates the proclamation of the gospel, but the good thing is we are equipped with the spirit, that's all the armor of God stuff, And then we're going to come to those realities of Paul using these verses here. He's like, I need you guys to pray for me so that I will be bold in articulating the gospel. On that Sunday, we're going to wheel out the old whiteboard like we did a year ago. I'm going to show a tool for sharing the gospel. And then we're just going to pray for one another towards that end. God, help us in the corporate gathering to be gospel witnesses then the sunday after that this is the sunday before easter what we're going to do is look at that little interaction that jesus has with the blind man right before peter makes his great confession where the blind man gets brought before jesus remember he touches his eyes and he only gets like healed partially and Jesus is like, what do you see? He's like, I see men walking around that look like trees. And then Jesus goes, okay. Then he touches him again, and then he gets healed fully and completely. And it's sort of like, it's like the Jesus power sputtering out, man. Like he can't just knock it out in one go anymore. And really what it is, it's an illustration that as men and women who are spiritually blind, in order for them to move from spiritual blindness along that trajectory into spiritual sight, it takes sovereign, divine intervention. Jesus alone is the only one that can make blind people see. Like, that's the point of the sermon. That's probably, We're probably shooting for a short, short sermon on, on that sign before Easter, but what we're going to do is something that might be a little weird for us, but we're just going to stop at that sort of point and wrap up the service by just taking time in corporate prayer, might even be calling people like just to come up maybe bend their knees and just begging because the idea is that the weeks leading up to Easter is that we are begging for God to give us opportunities to invite people to come to Easter and to invite them to respond to the gospel and just begging and fasting and praying and begging and praying and asking God to do something So on that Sunday before Easter we're like God, you've got to do something and trusting that when we go get rowdy on Easter Sunday that there's going to be lost people here they're going to see the redeemed of the Lord praising the Lord Jesus, and that divine intervention will happen, and God saves some folk, okay? So that's what we're going over the next couple of weeks, and I'm getting excited about it if no one else is, um, and so my hope is that the Lord is stirring an excitement in you guys, and so my I say all that to say this, please be praying, 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 praying. The power of prayer in regard to the boldness necessary and the filling of the Spirit is how Springfield can legitimately get dumped on its head through a little local body of believers. And so that's my encouragement for you guys. Thanks for coming. If you know people who weren't here tonight, we did record this, so you can kick it out. It'll be on the website. Thanks for coming. You guys can enjoy fellowship and hang out with one another. Thanks, y'all. Yes, and uh, where's he at? Keith Carver, there he is, man. Don't be ducking down there, dog. That man has a birthday today, all right? So, happy birthday to you.